blessing on these loved ones and many more that I haven't mentioned. Lord, uh, we just pray for them tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 3 is where we find ourselves. We've been here for a couple of weeks, as you know. The last couple of weeks, we've looked at these 19 verses um, of this chapter. It just deals with the fall of man, and we've looked at the multiple curses, the, surf, the serpent, Eve, Adam, and then the fall of the world. Really, last week was all about the world. It's been uh, cast into this same place. It's, it's in decay because of sin. Sin's coming into the world, so, so the world is also under the same curse as well. As I've said, Genesis 3 is foundational for you as a believer to understand how sin entered the world and how sin infects everything, man's life and, and the world as well. It, it, it affects everything, infects and affects as well, everything. And God's condemnation, we've seen it here, against the crimes of Adam and Eve and the curse explained. And tonight we're going to look at, again, the covering. We've, we've looked at the other two portions, the curse, and the curse that covered man and woman, the serpent, and the world. But now we're going to look at the, the covering. And so this is really important. This text of Scripture, in my opinion, is, is primary to what's going on here. Because as soon as sin comes into the world, God provides redemption. Redemption is a, a theological term you need to get to know. In fact, the more you know about redemption, the, the happier you'll be. It, it, redemption, the thought of it, the truth of it, the power of it, the glory of it, the grace of redemption. When you understand it, man, it'll, it'll help you soar above any difficulty you face in your life. But that's really what this section is all about. So let's begin reading back in verse 6 again. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave to her husband and her, uh, with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. Now, we're going to see how God covers them, but they, they saw some. This is the sin of man. They, they now know. They know that what they've done is in violation. They didn't know before, but now they know the difference. And God wanted them to be innocent. Parents, keep your children innocent. Don't show them movies. Don't read them stuff. Don't let them see things all around them because they won't be innocent. And then you're going to have to deal with their sin at a real, real early age before they're even able to I think, emotionally to be able to handle it, all this sex talk. They don't need to hear that stuff. If you listen to rap music with all that stuff, don't let your kids hear that stuff. Protect them. Keep them innocent. That was God's original intention. Don't you wish you hadn't heard a bunch of junk you've heard? I mean, seriously. And there's stuff you hear now, and you go, oh, why do I have to hear that more? So God wants you and I to be like Adam and Eve, innocent, they lost it. They lost their innocence. Now they know. That, so what do they do? They cover up. They cover themselves up with these scratchy fig leaves. Kind of interesting there. That's, that's, when you read about this, you read about a cover-up. That's what's really going on here. And I don't know if you, when I mention cover-up, my mind goes immediately to when I was a little boy in a home with three girls. And I pull their hair, you know, and act like nothing happened. You know, you're covering things up. 
Did you ever do that? I guess none of you did that. But maybe you broke something that was special. Your mom said, don't touch it. If you break it, we can't replace it. This is really important. And, and so she's gone. You pick it up. You remember doing that? And then you dropped it and you broke it. And what did you do? What did you try to do? You tried to cover it up, right? You didn't want her to discover. You, most of us don't take the broken thing right to mom and say, uh, gee, mom, I'm sorry. I, I busted your, your favorite heirloom from your family's history. You know, we, we, we try to put the handle back on that little mug. We put it on there and, and we prop it up in the corner just right so that that one of the sisters might come by and touch it and it falls off. And what'd you do? What'd you do? You broke mom's thing. Do you remember doing that? Yes. Okay, that's the heart of man. That, that, what I'm describing here is what we all try to do, try to cover it up. And Adam and Eve tried to cover it up. They sewed fig leaves together. We try to cover things up by justifying things, saying, oh, you know, I'm just human. I'm just only human. I, I couldn't help myself. I just did it. Everybody else does it. I did it. I failed just like everybody else. You can't blame me, right? Those are all cover-ups and really shouldn't do those things. Justifying our sin is like using a big fig leaf in our lives. But they really don't cover anything up. That's why these verses are so important for you to understand. Because when sin enters the world through Eve and then Adam's sin... God reveals, here's the beautiful thing, God reveals his grace immediately. He doesn't wait, he doesn't skip a beat, he doesn't allow him to, he reveals his plan of redemption. Now there's four things I want you to notice as we work our way up to our text tonight. The first one is, first one, God came to them. So they sin, now God's going to respond right away and you're going to see redemption in all these things. This is what God does in our lives. God came to them, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Obviously, they did that a lot with him. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So God used to hang out with Adam in the cool of the day, fellowship, communion. But now they sinned. They're afraid. They hide themselves. Man's sin, like it always does, your sin will will create separation. If you sin against your wife, husbands, you're going to create separation. Wives against children or vice versa in a home or at work. As soon as you sin, it creates separation. That's what happened. Created separation. They go run off and hide. But God came to them. That's grace. And you'll see God's grace throughout this. And I, I really want you to pay attention to that. Man's sin brought separation. Look at this verse behind me, Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have, what's the word? Separated you from God. It's your sin or your iniquities. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, this is something that you need to understand. You, you can't have a vital prayer life if you're going to remain in your sin. You can't. It doesn't happen. In fact, you'll, you'll get here, because we've all been here, right, Christians? You'll get to a place where you're praying, praying, and it feels like your, your prayer just doesn't go above your head. It just doesn't go anywhere. It's like there's something there. It's stopped, and it's your sin. It's your iniquity. It separates you from God. It doesn't, you don't lose your salvation, but your prayer life is stunted. Your spiritual growth is stopped. That's really what we see. It's your sin that separates you. So here's the truth about God, though. Although God could have said, you know what? 
I'm just going to stay here and let them sit in their sin for a while and, and suffer the consequences of their sin. I told them they were going to die. I'm going to just let them suffer. But God didn't do that. And that's what I think you really need to see here. He comes to them in grace. When man sins by choice, the consequence is separation, but it's God's grace that's always greater than man's what? Sin. God's grace is greater. In fact, the more dark and deep our sin is, the greater, the brighter the light of God's grace. That's the message you need to tell your friends, friends that don't know God. The message is that God's grace is greater than their sin. Oh, I could never come, go to church, and I'm a, I'm a loser, I'm a jerk, you know. I, I, I don't do anything right. Hey, I didn't either. And, and I've been washed by, by God. You come and you hear. You come and you listen. You come and you hear the gospel. It's the grace of God that reaches man. And the, the worst case scenario, the, the, the murderer can come to God by faith. And God's grace is greater than any sin. Here's the, great, here's the example. This is, this is only Genesis 3. If you guys had never read the New Testament, you should be stoked on this. Because right here in Genesis 3, God, God comes to them. And then notice, secondly... God calls out to them. That's my next point here in verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, "Uh, God, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. (laughs) Again, God didn't come to watch them in their misery. Many people have this idea in their mind. You might have someone in your family, maybe you in your past, had this in your mind. If God really saw what I did or thought, he would kill me. He would lightning bolt me right on the spot, right? Have you felt that way? Have you, I, I think most of us. But that's not the God that we know. That's not the God of the Bible. Can we, can we just come to a conclusion tonight in our church at Calvary, San Bernardino, that this God that we know is a great God. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God that extends his hand to everyone. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of God we can worship and jump up and down about. That's the God that we have. He's a gracious and loving God, and he comes he, to, to Adam. And then he calls out here, verse 9, he called out to Adam. He wants to reach Adam. And Scripture tells us that God did the same thing to you before you're saved. Did you know that? That you're saved by grace, through faith, not by works, not by things you did, not by attracting God's attention by, gee, God, did you see how I gave to that ministry or gave to that homeless guy? See how good I am, God? I I deserve to go to heaven because I'm such a good person. Did you see how good I am, Lord? No. You're only saved by the grace of God. God's grace is so much greater than any puny little good deed you could ever do. God's grace is beautiful. It's so wonderful. That's really what we see here. And that's what we experience when God comes to us. We're saved, and God does come to you. You didn't know God. Your eyes were not open, but the Bible says that he came to you, and then you responded to him. He came to you in the form of the gospel. He came to you in the form of a friend that shared the gospel. He came to you on TV when you heard the gospel or radio when you heard the gospel. He came to you. He sought you. He he called out to you. That's what he's doing here. I love this verse. Notice John 6, 44. No man or no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's a, a key truth in the scriptures. God comes to man. Man doesn't find God 
through good deeds, through efforts, through prayer, through going to church. You'll never find God that way. God comes to you, and God came and he reached out to you just like he reaches out to Adam here in this record, Genesis chapter 3. All you do is hear the news. You just hear the news, the good news. And when you hear the good news and respond, remember, we, it's called receiving. The gospel's preached, and you respond, and then you're born again when you respond, when you receive. In Romans 1.16, this is another great verse. Look at this one. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who, what? Believes. believes. You have to believe. God comes to you, but you have to believe. God comes to you, but you have to receive and respond. That's what the scriptures teach. To the Jew first, and then also the Greek. I I love that section and all that it means. I can't go there because my mind starts to, the marvel of that verse. So back to Genesis here. God came, God called. Number three, God confronts them, verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, is God omnipresent. Yes. Did God know if they had eaten the fruit? Yes. So why does he ask the question? Because he's given man an opportunity. Again, this shows God's grace. And the man said, verse 12, that the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So again, God challenged man on the basis of his sin. He revealed the sin to him. He already knew what Adam had done. He was just looking for a confession. If we confess, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of what? All unrighteousness. God wants to forgive you. God wants to shower you with grace. God wants to bless you. But you have to confess. In this case, he goes to Adam. Adam didn't confess. It was, she did it. It was her, Lord. And then then the woman, no, he did it. It was him. Just like the broken mug in my home a long time ago. I'm guilt-ridden over that. (laughs) I broke it and propped it up. I put it there. I wonder if my mom still knows that. I'll have to ask her. I propped it up in there. We are just like Adam. We don't want to admit our sin. But until you do, until you confess your sin, you won't know salvation. So how do people know they're sinners today? This question just came up in my mind. And some people say, well, Christians have to go and tell them that they're sinners. Christians have to go out and say, you are wrong, and condemn, and throw Bible verses, and and tell people that. Some people believe that, but that's not true. That's not your responsibility. This Saturday when we go out to witness in the community, we don't do that. We don't go up and say, you know what? You are a loser. You are lost. You're going to hell. We, don't, we actually share the, God's word with them. We do tell them. We do tell them what the word of God says. But we don't go out there with condemnation because here's why. Look at this verse behind me, John 16, verse 8. And when he has come, Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He will convict the world. This is a work of God. He convicts people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's God's work. That's not your work as a Christian. And you can talk to them and tell them that your righteous deeds are not good enough. Here's what the Bible says, Romans 3, Romans 5. You can show them 
these things. But your job is not to condemn others. God wants to come and share with them so that they can confess their sin. So, going back to the text here, God, God came, God called, God confronted, and then f- number four, God chastised. This is the curse. Verse 14, so the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it there. Now, there you have God's chastisement. And we saw the serpent cursed, the woman cursed, the man's cursed, there in verse 17. And this is all God's chastening or punishment. He's meeting out punishment. Again, reminding us that there's a price for sin. There's always a price for sin in the scriptures. And just think about it. If God let you and I do just what we wanted to do, if God just let us do as we pleased, we would just all sin our way right into H-E double toothpicks, right? And that's what we would do. We would just, if he allowed us, he would just go on. But he, he brings chastisement or punishment for sin. And that is what causes you and I to recognize that there's we call culpability. We're culpable to God. We're responsible to God. Very important for you to, to get that and understand that. But here's the truth. God is so loving that he does chasten us. That's what the scripture says. Notice this verse behind me again. Proverbs 3.11. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Correction, biblical correction, chastisement as it's known, is a product of the grace of God. He, he's loving God. He's a care, he cares about you. He loves you. And so because he loves you, he brings chastisement. That's what the scriptures teach. And then in ver- the end of verse 17, all creation is cursed. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18, but thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. So we have death, decay, disease, all that enters to the world. Sin ruins everything. It ruins man's relationship with God. It ruins the whole creation. Now creation is under this curse. And then the curse of death, verse 19. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, till you die, till you go back to the rudimentary elements of what you're made of, dirt, dust. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. Physical death becomes a reality for Adam. And, and he came, as I said, from dust, and now he's going to return to dust. And it's all the result of sin. Sin did all of this. It enters the human race, and it enters the human condition, and it enters into the planet on the earth, and it affects everything. Now, it's in verse 20. that we, I said all that to get here, but this is really important. This is how God deals with man's sin. It's called redemption. It's a really important word. You should get that word, write it down, look it up, dig into it. But this is how God deals with man's sin. 
And it's really important to note that as soon as the man falls in verse 6 of this chapter, God sets into motion his plan to redeem man. It's the plan jumps right then. It starts right then at that very point. And in these verses, verses 20 through 24, which we're going to look at right now, we see the plan of redemption, the salvation of man right here. And it begins with Adam naming his wife, and it ends here with God throwing them out, kicking them out violently. The word really is violently kicks them out of Eden. So let's look at that, verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Now, this section begins with Adam naming his wife, but the question, what's in a name? Here's my point tonight. What's in a name? Look again at verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. The, the name Eve has meaning. In the Hebrew, it's, you might have even heard this before, Hava. Chava is the spelled with a K-H, that, that guttural thing, the, the Arabic sound, Chava. It means life or living. That's what her name means. And it's interesting. In contrast to all that, that just took place because of man's sin, all the death, Adam looks at Eve and calls her life and living, Chava, there. So Adam names his wife, and notice it says there, because she was the mother of all the living. So my point here, you know, what's in a name? Now, when you and I name kids, when we name kids, and I've got five kids that Esther and I named, but when we name kids, normally we look at family members. Some of you pick names of movie stars or somebody that you see as important. I looked up on the Social Security Administration's, the U.S. government website, because they, all the names that you name your kids go in this data bank. Did you know that? And you can, go, you can actually look at that. What are the most uh, famous names for, or not famous, but the number one popular names for boys and girls? Let me give you some of those right now from this uh, website. For boys, here they are. Number one, Noah, Liam, Mason, Jacob. Ethan. Those are the, the number one most popular names. Interesting, isn't it? Right. 2015. And then for girls, like, check this out. Emma, Olivia, Sophia, Ava, Isabella, Charlotte. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? So those names are really, a lot of Americans are picking those names right now. Interesting. There's a family that I know that named their baby, who's just an infant right now, after a hockey player. You know, for whatever reason, they like hockey, so they just name their child. But, but in most cultures, and not our culture, but most cultures, names were chosen to reflect some important event. And that's what's happening here with the name of Eve. And so God gave Adam a name, and it's important. Adam, in Hebrew, means, do you know what it means? It means ground. 
because Adam came from the ground. So that if you look that up, a Hebrew name for ground, you'll see it's Adam. That's, that's the name. Interesting. Back in Genesis 2, Adam first called her, when he first saw her, what did he call her? Woman. Remember, because she had a womb. She was a man like him. No other animals like him. He was looking for an animal like him, and nothing was like him. And now it's a man, but a woman, because she had a womb. And so he called her. That wasn't her name, but that's what he called her when he first saw her. In verse 23 of chapter 2, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. But it's here in Genesis 3, after the fall. Remember, this is after the fall. Still in the garden, but after the fall, Adam names this woman. Now, men, if your wife did what Eve did, what would you name her? <laughs> Terrible, sinner. You know, Adam's going to name her. Adam named all the animals. Remember, he was naming them all. So now he's finally, we're getting to this place where he's going to name Eve. And instead of naming her all of these things like, like a Hebrew word for, look, you really messed this up, whatever that might be, he names her, he names her Eve. Again, he picked that name for his wife, and Eve means life, or like it says here, because she was the mother of all living. Now, that's really interesting because was Eve a mother yet? Isn't that Interesting. Adam has something in his mind. He's remembering a promise that God made to him. And he's giving his wife, Eve, this name that has significance. She's going to be a mother of all. How did he know that? Well, back in verse 28, I'm going to show it to you, chapter 1. This is what it says. Remember, God's creating the world. He's creating everything. And he creates plant life, and they all have seeds so they can procreate after their kind. Remember the kind thing? Everything's after its kind. And then there's fish after their kind, and birds and beasts and after their kind. And God blessed them. Here's the verse. You can read it behind me. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and notice, fill the earth. Adam knew that his wife was going to produce. He, he may not have known what it was going to be right away. He probably, he'd never seen a baby. He didn't know. But he knows that these plants that he's eating from have seeds. And those seeds were to make more plants. And that God had promised and told him, now you be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. So he knew that they were all going to come. That life would come from the womb of his wife. He knew that. That was a prophecy that, that God had given him. And Adam knew that. He knew that was going to happen. Now, if you notice in verse 15 here of chapter 3, God says to the serpent, notice this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between, notice, your seed and her seed. So Adam knew that there was going to be seed and he knew that there was going to be other little Adams and Eves running around. He knew that. She wasn't a mother at this time, but he named her Eve, the mother of the living. Isn't that interesting? I, I find that fascinating, this name that, that's given. And the seed, we talked about the seed of the woman that would be the Messiah that would come and crush the head of the serpent. And the seed of the serpent, which represents Satan and 
and Judas and all the, those that reject God. So Adam names his wife Life. Life is her name. Knowing God's promise and that, that through her the Messiah would come and that through her this, the, the head of the serpent would be crushed. Now here's the point. Immediately after the fall, God's plan of redemption was, was enacted. It, it went into effect. The salvation of man. It begins with Adam naming his wife Eve because she's the mother of all living. And next on God's redemptive plan here, notice in verse 21, my next point is man needs a covering for sin. Look at verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Tunics. If you've studied the Bible, if you've been in the, the study on Sunday morning and we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness like this would go over what's known as this garment tunic. It's just a big piece of cloth with a hole cut in the middle and they'd put it over their head and it would just cover them. That's a tunic. So God now has made a tunic of skin to clothe them. Man, Adam and Eve, they attempted to cover themselves. Remember what they tried to cover themselves with? Those scratchy, itchy fig leaves, they sewed a bunch together and put them all over them. But God now is going to cover them. Their covering wasn't enough. Their covering wasn't complete. Their covering wouldn't get them through their life or for eternity. But God wants to cover them in a totally different way that would prepare them for eternity. Again, man needs a covering for sin. And when God looked at Adam and Eve in their sin, they were totally exposed. He didn't see a fig leaf. He saw their need for a covering. Spurgeon said this. Look at this quote from Spurgeon. If we have to put one stitch into the garment of our salvation, we shall ruin the whole thing. I like that. Love reading Spurgeon. And here's an illustration. Standing before God in your own covering, like Adam and Eve stood there with their fig leaves, is like going to a job interview down here at the county office naked. I... I I'm, I'm hoping that shocks you because that's really what it's like. God sees it all. God knows it all. Truth is, only God can provide the covering we need for sin. And that's why this section is so, so important. I hope you're getting this. I love this portion of Scripture. It sets up the rest of the Bible for you. Genesis really does. And this God's plan of redemption comes completely into view as God begins to uh, cover he takes an innocent life to make the tunic of skin. How did he get that? He had to kill an animal. He had to take an innocent life. And that was a substitute for. Isn't that interesting? Again, this is God's redemptive plan. And I believe that Adam and Eve, they have in their back of their minds, sin brings forth death, but they're still alive. And so God comes to them, and he, he starts this plan. He, he, I don't know if he took the fig leaves off or they just fell off in front of God. They were exposed. And then God kills an animal. And Adam and Eve, remember, Adam is naming the animals, and he's seeing the animals, and he's having a great time naming all the beautiful, the variety, the color. He's naming the animal. Oh, he's falling in love with God's creation. And now God comes, and he kills an animal. Maybe it was a lamb. What do you think? He cuts the throat, and before Adam and Eve, the animal bleeds and writhes in pain and dies right in front of Adam. Can you imagine what they felt? 
They've never seen anything die before. This is a horrible, horrible thing, and they're seeing all of it, the, the substitutionary death because of their sin. They're seeing it. And you and I know where this is going. You know, right? Because you understand Jesus and the cross. But see the picture here? Do you see what is being revealed right here in Genesis chapter 3? I, it's, it's too beautiful. Again, how many animals did it take to make the tunics to cover these two individuals? At least two Maybe four, six, eight, I don't know. He, the, the several animals, perhaps, as I've said, lambs, had to be killed. I believe that Adam and Eve at that point in time, they would have remembered this words from the Lord. You shall not eat it. You shall not touch it, that tree in the middle of the garden, because when you do, you will die. And so they're, now they know death and the animals. They've caused this death. It's happening in front of them, this, these animals that Adam just names are slaughtered in front of them to cover their sin. So God's justice was served, in this case, because innocent animals died. That's another really important thing for you to understand. You cannot die for someone else and pay for sin. Only a sinless sacrifice, only Jesus Christ, a sinless sacrifice, the son of the living God who came and willingly, vicariously died in your place, in my place. That's what covers our sin. No fig leaf, no man-made way to cover it, but only God could do that. So there they are standing. They feel horrible. They had to have. The seriousness of their sin killed these Animals and there's an atoning substitute now. That's that's God's plan being revealed. This is God's wonderful plan. Now there's redemption for them. They're not going to die. Now think about this too. As we go through this next couple of chapters, we're going to realize that Adam lives for quite a while. He's going to live 900 years, knowing all of these things. Every time the sun comes up and goes down, he knows what he has done to cause the weeds, to cause the chaos, to cause the problem with his wife, to cause all the sin. And then his firstborn son, we're going to see that. Sin brought forth all of that. The seriousness of, of our sin contrasted to the grace of God, the redemption, and God's wonderful, wonderful plan. The animal skin that God provides through sacrifice temporarily covers Adam and Eve's sin. But all of it typified or pointed to the Messiah who would come and live and die. It's all, it's all a picture of the future. We look back at it now, you know. But do you know how many years it was between now and the New Testament? The Genesis chapter 3 and the New Testament, you know how many years? 4,000 years. Remember, I talked to you about a young earth. I talked to you about a young earth. And this is how you get to the young earth. How old is the planet? You don't have to subscribe to what I believe, but after reading the Bible and understanding what I understand, I believe the earth's about a little over 6,000 years old. Yeah, 4,000 years between Adam, the creation, and Adam and his sin and his fall, and, and Jesus. Then you have a couple thousand years since Jesus died. What does that give you? Four and, and two, that gives you six, right? So that's where I'm at. Now, you could laugh at that. You could say it's wrong. I'm just saying from the scriptures, that's where you're going to, fall. If, if you just read the scriptures and believe that God's word is true. 
But this covering for Adam and for Eve, it was temporary. It all pointed to the Messiah who would come, crushing Satan and wiping him out and then providing for you and I this blood that would ultimately make you and I redeem us completely. Notice this verse behind me, 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but how are you redeemed? With the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's how we're redeemed. What we're reading in Genesis 3 is just a picture or a type of Christ, or what was going to happen. That's why it's so important for you to get this. The bottom line, tonight you're either standing before God with fig leaves, that's your covering, that's man's excuses, or you're clothed with the righteousness that comes because you put your faith in Jesus Christ in his work. Now, isn't that amazing? Isn't that a beautiful truth that by faith you can trust and believe, and then have this covering, but not only a covering, an eradication of your sin so that you are holy. Remember, imputed righteousness. God does that. You come to Christ, and he places the righteousness of Christ on you like a robe. So as you live your life, will you struggle? Will you sin? Will you say? Will you do? Yes, 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 you're going to sin. You're going to, don't sin. I don't want you to put the righteousness of Christ on. But when you do, Jesus looks, or God looks at you and sees the righteous robe of his son on you. And one day, and when I'm totally redeemed, when, when I shed this tent, this earthly body, and all that's left is that soul and that spirit, body, soul, spirit, the soul and spirit, my personality, who I am, I'm, I'm always going to be Lee. You're always going to be Sarah or Sue or Esther or Rebecca or Frank or whoever you are. You're always going to be. That's your personality, and you'll be known that way in heaven. You'll actually be given a new name. If, if you study the book of Revelation, you're going to get a new name too. That's going to be cool. I can't wait for that. It's a righteous name, and God gives it to me, and that's going to be cool. But you'll be known in heaven. You'll be, you'll be given a new body in heaven only, only if you have the blood of Christ. If you have the fig leaf... Won't get you there. That's man's works. The grace of God provides. We see that. See, God, his his creation, he loves his creation. The, The crowning point of creation is day six, the end of the day when God makes man in his own image. And God is not about to let him fail. That's a beautiful truth. That God will not let you fail. That you're going to get through these things until ultimately you will succumb your body's going to get old. I don't want to live 900 years. Anybody want to live 900 years in here? Anybody? No? I don't know if I want to even live 90, to be honest with you. <laughs> You're shaking your everybody. Well, how about 70? If anybody wants to live 70 years? Everybody has an opinion on that. But I'll tell you this, it's, it's a good life. If, you, if you've got 80 years, if you're into your 90s, my grandma was 90 and she was loving life and loving her family. She had a great life, and we loved her dearly. It was, she, she died when she was 100 in a day or two. She actually made it to 100, and then she finally said, I'm tired. <laughs> she was a believer. She's in, she's, I'm going to see Nani. That's what we called her in heaven again. We're gonna, I'm going to see my grandma in heaven, and I'm so grateful because she was covered with the blood of Christ, not with a fig leaf. 
So again, here we see that Jesus now is the substitute for our sin. In Genesis 3, it was a picture, a type. The innocent animal had to die so that the sinners could be covered with his tunic. God covered them. And for you and I, we have the blood of Jesus that covers us, separates us from our sin. It's a beautiful truth here. But I want to add something else here. The only way, the only way you can get to heaven is through believing in the death of his son, the believing in the, the blood of the lamb. That's man's covering for sin. And the problem was, and we'll get my last point now. Here's my last point. The problem was that although Adam and Eve are covered now, they're covered or you could call them saved, but they're covered, they're still living in a fallen world. That's their problem. And that's why, listen, that's why God kicks them out for their own protection. He now is going to kick them out of the garden. Now, it's a fallen world. They're in the garden, but it's a fallen world. And in that garden, there's another tree. And God needs to protect them from that tree because in their sin, if they eat of that tree, guess what they're going to do? It's the tree of eternal life. And God doesn't want that for them. This is God's mercy and grace again. This is a beautiful truth. Notice verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree, unless he eats of that tree, and he eats, he'll live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So first God saves them by providing this atoning sacrifice, this innocent sacrifice in the, the skin to cover them. And then he protects them from themselves by kicking them out of the garden because they're, they're not going to obey God. He knows it. So he's going to kick them out of the garden to protect them. And this is really important, again, for us to understand because as far as... Adam and Eve was concerned once sin had entered the garden. Living forever would have been hell on earth for them. It would have been. Because now the garden is fallen. Now it's, it's not going to yield like it yielded before. It's, it, there's there's going to be problems there. They're going to have to, you know, work on survival. Well, a lot of survival shows on TV, but I'll tell you what, they would have to work for everything. They have to live forever in their sin. If Adam and Eve stayed and eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived forever in sinful bodies. They would have lived forever in a fallen, cursed world. They would have lived forever struggling with temptations and sin. And so God protects them from eating of the tree of life. That's what he's doing here. He didn't want his beloved children to live forever in their sin. So he kicks them out of the garden. And it says sent out there, or I say kicked out. Now, why were they kicked out? Because they were in this garden. They didn't want to leave the garden. I've seen pictures. If you go to a, a museum like the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., or if you've been to the Louvre in Paris, or if you've been to some of the, you'll see some Michelangelo, or you'll see some of the great works of artists. And they took these, there's a beautiful painting of this. I've seen it. They've had it in Washington, and it's moved around. I can't remember the name of it. I have to, I'll have to think of that. But it's a beautiful picture where it shows on one side of the picture the bright and brilliant garden with water, and, and it's just only the way the masters could portray it. 
And Adam and Eve with their little fig leaves and and they're looking back at the garden and they're moving into the darkness of this world that's kind of, there's a tree here and a stump there. They're leaving the garden and they're they're moving into, it's a beautiful picture. I wish I could have found it and, and shown it to you. But they were in paradise and they don't want to leave. They don't know what's out there. They're afraid. They don't want to go. They just saw an animal killed and now it's like, what's going to happen to me? And they don't want to leave. So God has to force them out. That's what these words really mean. Verse 24, he drove out the man. And then God, God, to make sure they didn't get back in there, he put a cherubim in the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way. In other words, you walk over this way and the sword, flaming sword comes as you walk over there, the flaming sword moves wherever you move. You can't get by it. God's protecting that tree of life. It says to guard the way of the tree of life. Now, that term there, he drove them out, and I use the term kicked. It really means expelled. God expelled them. He spit them out. He moved them out. He, he, it's a very strong, strong word. I use the word kicked or booted. But he drives them out of the garden. And when you th- read that, you go, gee, God, do you really love them? Yes, he loves them. And he loves them so much, he wants them out of there now. Because if they eat of that tree, they're going to live in their sin. He doesn't want that for them. Again, this is showing the grace of God. God is protecting them. God is looking out for them. So he drives them out. And this is really important. The protection for them, it includes death. Did you know that the scripture says that God numbers your days? God knows how many days you're going to live. And here's, when when I read that, I think about that. We see death is so horrible, it's so awful. But you know what? Death. Death is a separation from this body that just wants to sin. It lives to sin. And death is separation from that Christian. We should look forward. Christians should look forward. Not to kill yourself, no. To live life to the full. Victory. Put the armor on. Go out in victory. Stand in that. Love that. Fight for what God wants you to fight for. Stand up for truth and righteousness in this world. And, but then when you die, Paul calls it a coronation. You get a crown of righteousness. Death for the Christian is a beautiful thing. And again, here it's, it's depicted that way. God, he, he, he stops them from going back in the garden, living their sin, and then he numbers our days. And I'm so glad I don't live to be a 900-year-old person. We're going to see some really old people here as we move through Genesis. Um, But God drives them out of the garden. God promises a a new heaven and a new earth for you and I, a place that's not marred by sin. God's going to burn everything up, and he's going to start new, a new heaven and a new earth. Isn't that going to be glorious? We have a lot to look forward to, Christians. Jesus promises that we're going to live with him forever without separation. Here's a portion of scripture I read at funerals. It's John 14. I'll just read this one verse. Look at this verse. And if I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus says, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you're going to be. Where is Jesus now? He's in heaven. What is he doing? Interceding for you and I. He's building a place for you and I right now. I don't know if it's Home Depot. He gets stuff and builds it. I doubt it. But he's providing, he's building a place for you and I right now. We have so much to look forward to. And Adam's covering, the covering of Adam is a picture of redemption. 
It's a picture of redemption. So right here in Genesis 3, God shows us this saving substitution of the gospel. Nothing you can do will cover you and protect you from your sin. Nothing. Fig leaves. (laughs) That doesn't work. But the righteousness of Christ, which is free and available, that we receive by faith, this wonderful work that God's done called redemption. It's redemption by the blood, by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. They, Adam and Eve, look forward 4,000 years until Messiah came. We look back 2,000 years to when that happened and the stone was rolled away and the power of the resurrection and we live that resurrected life. All these promises are ours from Genesis to Revelation. Christian, you guys are rich. How rich are we? We are so rich. God's provided it all for us. Here's the question tonight. Will you be going home with the Lord? Do you have eternal hope? Are you redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? See, that's your choice. You have to make that choice tonight. I'm so glad that many of you that I know, most of you in this room have done that. It brings joy to my heart. If you haven't, you need to do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this wonderful, glorious truth in the scriptures here at the very beginning of our Bibles, Genesis chapter 3, where sin enters and rushes into the world and corrupts everything, decays everything, and death is brought into the the world. And yet, redemption, the plan, your plan of redemption, the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent, the wounding, but yet the crushing, the Messiah, pictured here, the type of Christ shown clearly here, the innocent shed blood and the covering of sin in the Genesis 3, but the, the truth of that, you going to the cross, Jesus, and dying for us, the shed blood that pays for our sin. Oh, how we thank you. We, we are so grateful. We worship you. We love you. Father, I pray for any here that don't know that, truth or anyone listening to the broadcast tonight, I pray that right where they sit, right where you are tonight, you can believe. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the truth about Jesus living and then Jesus dying in your place, the innocent for the convicted. You've heard that Jesus rose again and lives and providing a place right now for, for you. You've heard that. Now it's time for you to believe and receive that. Father, I I pray that as you do that work, as you do that work, Lord, as you did last, last Wednesday night with that young man, as you do that work of salvation, Lord, we'll just thank you and praise you and give you glory. Thank you, God, for the study of your word tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.